Hey church, today's word is a collection of verses that all come from the book of Proverbs. Chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Chapter 16, verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Chapter 16, verses 18 to 19. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Chapter 18, verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Chapter 21, verse 4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. And chapter 29, verse 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. This is the word of the Lord. Today is a big, important message. As I said at the beginning of our service last week, Pastor Young gives a really fine message on the very difficult issue of unteachability. And he talked about how we, you know, want to navigate life, but we often want to navigate life without really hearing what the Bible calls reproof or correction from anybody else. Um, this is actually an he actually referenced a little bit at one point in the ser- um, sermon that it, this, this leads to the next issue, the deeper issue, which is the real cause of so much unteachability is pride. And um, it is a really big theme in the book of Proverbs. And even these uh, few verses that were read, um, there's nothing really subtle about them. It's, it's not uh, too hard to understand what it's basically saying. It's basically saying is if you're filled with pride, you're, you're leading toward death and destruction. It's a basic point. Um, if you are filled with pride, it is not only sin, which is explicitly, it says it is sin. And um, some of the, the greatest Bible readers of all time said it's not only sin, it's about the worst sin there is. It is the sin that leads to unbelief. If you are listening to this message today, and you do not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, and you think, and it just, I just never got it. It doesn't make sense to me. And you just consider yourself an honest, skeptical person, which there are many honest, skeptical people, and you have actually good and honest, skeptical questions as to why you do not believe in Christianity. I have no problem with that. Everybody has good, honest questions. But there's more than that going on. There's a lot more than that going on. Inside your heart, is a big sin problem, which is also a big wisdom problem. And that is the problem of pride. So let's get into it. Three parts. Part one, the empty ego seeking worth. The empty ego seeking worth. That's really, that's really the seed of it all. All of us have an ego, or the self, or the, your identity, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's tremendously empty, even though you think you're not a big person, but actually the self is infinitely large. As if you're with me, you know that that's one of the things I teach, because you are intended to be filled with something very, very big, and that is God himself. But it's empty. Part two. The filled up, self-forgetful gospel humility. That's the antidote. Gospel humility is the antidote. And so since we're empty, we need to be filled up. And if you're filled up, you could be self-forgetful. That's what it looks like. I'll get into this. Um, It's very unintuitive because pride is very, very intuitive. It's very, very normal. But humility is incredibly elusive, but it is possible. And part three, boasting in the cross and liberation from the world. This is how the gospel frees us from our self-preoccupation, the prison of me. And um, we must learn to boast in the cross. And therein, we have the liberation from the world, okay? So let me get into it, part one. Let me, um, you know, I, I won't spend tons of time, but let, let, let me... Just to give you a few, and by the way, this is just a sampling. <laughs> there are many other verses. Um, but, uh, you know, when pride comes, this is 11, verse 2, chapter 11, verse When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. 
Um, Everyone who is arrogant in heart, chapter 16, verse 5, is an abomination to the Lord, to Yahweh. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Now, if you don't believe in God, you're like, well, God's punishing. What a mean God and so forth. But, I mean, whenever I hear that from people who think there's no God, then they turn around and there's incredible morality going on in our culture. And it's often very secular morality. And if you fail that morality... Oh, they will consider you an abomination. That's not the word we use. I mean, if you are a racist today, you are an abomination to everybody. <laughs> and rest assured, you will not go unpunished. And so, I just want you to think about that. I mean, wouldn't you rather have a righteous God who's wise and also filled with mercy and grace to make the determination of what is good and what is abomination and what should be punished and what should be blessed and rewarded, I would hope that you would want someone far wiser than our politicians or our professors or your neighbors or whoever angry, judgmental person is in your social media feed. And so, um, just think a little bit about that. But let's go on. This is a famous verse that um, if you're you're older like me, when I was growing up, people used to, uh, you know, they used to quote, quote the King James Version, and they would usually quote this verse. This is chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so um, usually people used to quote it in kind of simple way, you know, pride goes before a fall. You know, obviously you could see this is, this is the verse, but it's a, it's a little clipped. But basically it is predicting, maybe it is even promising, it is promising. It's understand that, that, that the Proverbs are general pieces of wisdom. It isn't an absolute exactly one-to-one, but generally this is the way life works. But um, from, a, from God's point of view, this is absolutely the way life works. If you have pride, you probably don't have any space um, to think that you need God. And so ultimately, eternally, you'll end up in destruction. But even here in this life, a haughty spirit goes before a fall. Um, chapter 18, verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. So it's very similar. Very similar. Um, chapter 21, verse 4. Before destruction, a, uh, no, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked. I always think this is really interesting. Haughty eyes and a loud and a proud heart, not a loud heart, a proud heart, a proud heart, which is, according to the Bible, it's the lamp of the wicked, are sin. So oftentimes people think sin is a, is a particular discrete piece of wrongdoing. So if you call someone a racist name, of course, you know, like everybody, including secular folks today, consider that sin, even though it's not the word they use. Um, you know, if you steal or if you look at porn or something like that, that's sin. But you ever think that what's something that's going on in, in the internal character part of you is sin? It's actually the much bigger sin. It's actually the root of sin. And according to the Bible, if you have haughty eyes, in other words, the way you look at things, your eye, your really, it's not even just, I mean, you could be blind, physically blind, but you still look at the world a certain way. And if you look at the world through haughtiness, and you have a proud heart. And those things absolutely go together. That's actually the lamp of the wicked. Which means that's actually the light. The light by which you perceive the world. And you take in the world. Because, I mean, let's say, think of the world as a place. That, you know, you could bump into things. And you have to navigate the world. Well, you have to have a certain light which sheds. You know, it's your perspective. Your perception of how the world is. Um, your light according to the Bible, if, you're, if you have haughty eyes and a proud heart, is that. It's pride. Pride is your light. And um, it's, your light is actually a form of sin. Um, it's a tremendous, it's a short verse. But it's an incredibly depressing but profound um, indictment on all of life itself. Who doesn't, who isn't guilty of this, at least sometimes? Maybe most of the time. At least some of us. I'm not a proud person. I don't look down on haughty people. Um, 
I'm going to get, we'll get a little further into this. Maybe you might change your mind. Um, one more verse that we read today. And there are many others. Um, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. One's pride will bring him low. Sometimes that's not a bad thing to do. Um, and I'm going to get into a discussion here about pride because pride encompasses not only, I think, really well. That is the obvious one that most of us think about. That guy thinks he's so, he's so full of it. He's, he thinks he's so, oh, she thinks she's so all that. And we think of that as pride or haughty or arrogant. And of course, that is the usual um, definition. But the Bible encompasses more than that. Pride is really all about the self. And so, I mean, let me get into that. So I want to give you a, a little definition. Where is pride coming from? Pride is primarily to constantly be preoccupied with the self. And um, if I would get to give you the really simplest definition. And where is it coming from? There's a problem with the self. The problem with the self is that it is empty. You look in there and you're like, it seems like a vast void. And the self has to, you know, have some worth. What we have to do is when we go out to the world, what we want is somebody to be able to say, hey, you're really smart. You're really pretty. You're really talented. You're really, you know, valuable. We appreciate you. The self is, has worth, is worthy, is worthy of, of this admiration, of this appreciation, of this acceptance. And this is really interesting too. The self is looking for worth for the self. Let me say that again. The self is looking for worth for the self. And you know what? It isn't just that we're looking for worth. It's like, if I get worth, I'll know that I have it. And then it doesn't really matter what anybody else says, right? No, that's not how it works. The way your self doesn't feel so empty. Let me just put, a little, put it a little bit differently. How do you know you're not nothing? I just asked the same question. The ego feels like it's nothing. How do you know you're not nothing? That when people ignore you, it's, it's deserved. Because you're nobody. You're not anything. It's the same issue. Many years ago, um, God, after the first sin in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, it says this really profound thing in the Bible. It says that they saw that they were naked. Before that, they were naked, but they were unashamed. It says that they knew God was coming. They, not, they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. And so immediately what they have to do is they have to cover up their nakedness. And you know how they did it? They covered themselves up with fig leaves. That's the way the Bible puts it. It's a pretty kind of a sad, pathetic way of covering up your nakedness. And then when God came, says, where are you? And then, and then they were hiding. And then he says, and then they said, because they were ashamed. And God says, who said you were naked? Who said you were naked? And then he goes, then he understood. He said, well, of course, he always understood. But he goes, did you eat from the tree I told you not to? It's an incredibly profound, some of you are like, it just sounds like some kind of religious mythology. No, it's an unbelievably deep and penetrating insight into the human character. The fallen human character feels that we are naked and that we have to run around and if people actually can see us for who you are, if you don't cover up, they'll actually see you for who you are. And by the way, this isn't just about physical nakedness or clothes. It's, you're much more afraid of people seeing you into your soul. Because if they see you into your soul, they might find out you're nothing, or actually maybe worse than nothing. And here we go. We go out into the world. Inside, they're going to find out I'm nothing, or worse than nothing. It's the same thing. It's the Bible's way of saying this. The ego is empty. The ego is is 
worthless. And so we are all days long, we have to take this self, this container called the ego, me, and we have to fill it up with worth. And then we constantly have to be fake and to the world so that they won't find out what you personally already fear about yourself, which is that inside you're worth less or maybe worth condemning. And so it shows up in all kinds of crazy ways. So it's, it's like everything that's good can be made bad. And this is really when all this is when, when the pride goes and it's like we just think everything is normal. That girl is the B word. She's pretty. She looks down everybody who is not as pretty as her. She's haughty. Eh, she's bad, right? Well, actually, everybody does this. You, she may do it on, the, on prettiness, but you do it on like, well, he wastes a lot of money. I am sensible. <laughs> so being sensible and not wasting a lot of money, now all of a sudden is your pride. How do you know? Maybe they, have a lot, they make a lot more money than you. If, if you make a million dollars a year, you could buy three BMWs and it's nothing. <laughs> it's no big deal. It's not really a waste of money for a person who makes a million dollars a year. Why would you judge them? Because you don't really know. It actually could be, weirdly, it could actually be humbled. Strange. They could be, you know, dr driving three Lamborghinis a year. and They only buy an $80,000 car when they could buy a $200,000 car. It's actually kind of humble and sensible. Isn't that weird? So what externally looks sensible and good, inside is the poison of pride because the inside inner person now I, I talked about um, how you think you're better because we always got to be this is it we all have to be better than somebody and it always comes into comparing so I want to say a little something about this this is really important today we live in a secular culture secular it comes from the Latin word which means the world in other words, the world is all there is. There's nothing beyond this world. There's no heaven, hell, God, word of God. Just this is it. The secular, the world. The secular, the world. And the secular world says there's the only verdicts, because that's what we want. We have, to have, we have to have worth. And the way we think we have worth is if other people say so. So you think you can determine this by yourself. And we call this self-esteem. The self esteems the self. Because the self considers that my self has worth. But if, you, if your mom said that you were stupid. And your coach said that you were slow. And nobody ever wanted to date you. And nobody ever wanted to hire you. And nobody invites you over for Christmas dinner. Why would you have good self and esteem of yourself? See how this works? So you think self is just, well, then just change your mind. The self can esteem the self and then you'll be okay. And then you can get through life. But this is the problem. It's all word of man. There has to be a verdict. A verdict is a word. It's a judgment. It's a judgment about you. It's about a judgment about you. You can't give yourself a judgment about you. You give yourself a judgment about you. Let's say you're like, all right. Sometimes what, <laughs> we have a little joke at my house. And my wife goes, you're getting rounder. And I go, what are you talking about? I think I look great. And she goes, yeah, in your delusional mind, you do. <laughs> And I always go, dear, don't say that out loud. There's a lot of other people who, who have a bigger belly problem and they would be really offended if you said these things. But, I mean, it's, not, it's, it's one, one verdict. It's a pretty important verdict, your wife's, <laughs> right? And I'm arguing with her. Well, who's right? Who's right? It's all word of man. And we're talking about your weight. But you know, the grand scheme, isn't the most important verdict about the self, but when 
The only verdicts out there are the word of man. Because the world is the only verdicts there are. And so the only person that could tell you if you have worth are other people. And what if they're mean? Or what if they're dumb? Or what if they're just, you know, you know whole cultures and whole generations could completely go off the deep end. Their whole generations just thought that black people were inferior. I mean, whole generations of people believe this. It's complete nonsense. Complete, total garbage, quite frankly. But, like, everybody in the neighborhood believed this. I mean, do you know that everybody in the neighborhood today could believe in something completely nonsensical and then give you a verdict on its basis? This is the problem of the secular. So, right now, one of the reasons there's so much depression and so much anger and so much despair and hopelessness is exactly this issue. The self needs worth. It needs a deep and powerful verdict that will give you a a strong foundation for life by which you can go out and treat other people with grace and kindness and wisdom and servanthood. But instead, you know, we're all kind of trapped in the, the secular and nobody can say a word to you Except these people would say something nice to you and they're like, okay, I'm going to run to you. Okay, wait a second. But then, then tomorrow they say something nice to you. So we run into this set of people and then tomorrow what if they turn on you? If you don't do X, Y, Z, then we won't accept you. I've been talking about the problem of haughtiness. Pride has a flip side of it. I'm so great, but it's also I'm so bad. So what if nobody likes you? Let me give you an example. Um, So, all your life when you were growing up, your parents said that you were wonderful and somebody will love you. And you know, when you're younger, maybe you want to get married. So you think, I want to get married. I'm going to get married. Surely somebody will love me. And I'm saying this, I hope this isn't overly painful for anybody as I say this. But it can go to some hard places. So let's say you meet somebody. You're 20 or 16 or 30 or 40 and you meet somebody. And you're dating this person. And this person is really getting to know you. They're actually getting to, they're getting past the external. They're actually, you're starting to get more soul naked to this person. They're seeing you. And now this question is arising. Do you want me? Can we be married? It doesn't matter. We're not talking about whether you're the guy or you're the, you know, the gal. You know, we're talk- we're, it can go either way. And then they have a verdict. And the verdict is, no. I've seen you. I've gotten to know you. I don't want to be with you. It's crushing. At the beginning, we believe something good about ourselves. We're... we're we're, we're smart, and we're a good person, and we're pre- pretty enough anyway. We're gainfully employed enough anyway. And we're worthy of a, of a future with somebody else, to be somebody's father or somebody's mother and a life together. And this isn't just one voice among, it's not just some coworker who barely knows you, or, or, or just some schmo sitting in your class that barely ever talked to you. It's not the person down the street that you say, you know, you wave your hand to while you walk your dog. This person got to know you. And then they said, no. You know what happened to the self? It'll deflate. It's crushed. And so this is the downside of pride. And so here inside of the world, an important voice said, no, not you. And we get depression and despair and all kinds of stuff. Because the self, this is the only thing, this is like the worth that we were hoping for, that this person, this person has to give me this verdict. And I, I'm, I hope to get a good verdict from this person, but they, they gave me the wrong verdict. And then, here we go, then now you may start to agree with that person. 
That's where it gets, that's really where it really starts to have a problem. Now the, you start thinking, maybe myself isn't really worth much. See, see where it gets to, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's one we can't accept. There's a little, there's a lot of pride that leads to self-hatred and depression. I would say pride is a killer. See how it's, a, it's destructive? So you have pride. First you get puffed up because you think you're so great. And then the boom, it gets popped. And then you are deflated down to your, your real self, which is really nothing. And now you see yourself as nothing. And now you feel destroyed and you might as well end it. So maybe the slow way, addiction. Or the fast way, this way. Now, let me just say, stop for a moment. If you're listening to this message today, and you have had suicidal thoughts, please hear me. Do not. There's hope, okay? I'm just kind of laying it on the, there's hope. And I hope what I'm telling you is, has your attention to help you. So please don't do anything rash. Mm. Um, Gosh, there's so much to say. I'm going to say, um, I'll say one more. Um, I want to give you one more. I want to open up something to you. Oh, I didn't bring it with me. Damn, can you grab that book right there? <laughs> I should show it. All right. So let me give you a, I want to teach you something out of this book. You probably can't see it. Look how big it is. It's so big, so thick. You know, usually I like big books, but this is one of my favorite little books. It's not big. It's not a lot of pages. You could literally read this in one sitting. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Timothy Keller. I think it's actually one of his sermons, and then they just put it into the book form. And it's on this subject. It's one of the best treatments I've ever read. You should read it. Trust me, whatever it costs, it's worth it. And a hundred times more. And it might keep you from depression. <laughs> so I want to offer you how he describes the ego. And I'll just try to go through this quickly and then let's go to part two. He says there are four, at, there are four things that describe the fallen sinful ego. And they are empty, painful, busy, fragile. Empty, painful, busy, fragile. I've already told you, you already, we already feel like nothing. I won't belabor that too much, but it leads to this. Since we're nothing inside, you can't be seen as nothing inside, so you have to build yourself up. What you're, what you're building up is being puffed up. Do you see it? If you take a balloon, there's nothing inside. For it to make it bigger, it's puffed up. So people puff up. That's haughtiness. But then when it deflates, that's the flip side of pride. But both are the same expression. It is the preoccupation with the empty self. So it's first empty. It, 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 uh, it's got to be uh, bloated and puffed up or deflated and feeling destroyed. Um, second, it's painful. Because we always are... We always feel this. It's always bringing attention to it. It's yourself, do you notice yourself is always talking to yourself? <laughs> the self is always, you know, bringing attention to it. It's always butting in all the time. And he brings up this, um, and, and, and Tim Keller brings up this beautiful point, which is if something works the way it's supposed to, it doesn't need to bring attention to itself, right? So he gives you this example, your big toe. Tell me how many times do you think about your big toe? Because if the big toe could talk, would it talk? <laughs> it's actually very humble because it doesn't say anything. Why? Because it just works. It helps you walk. It helps you get up. It helps you stand. You never go, hey, big toe. Hey, and the big toe is like you're always in this conversation with your big toe. Big toe is like constantly screaming all the time, constantly telling you, pay attention to me, fix me, do something for me. Oh, make sure, make sure everybody else sees that I'm doing okay. No, it just works. 
when you pay attention to it is when it stops working. When it's in pain, when it hurts. Have you ever had a big toe problem? I've had a big toe problem. It's, it's terrible. The more it hurts, the more it screams, and the more it brings attention, and it's always, but, then it butts into everything. You're trying to have a conversation, and you're like, ah. You're trying to watch TV, and it's interrupting. You're trying to have a conversation, and it's interrupting. Well, guess what? The self is like that. And because it's painful, you can't shut it up. The third thing, it's busy. Because it's always in pain, it's always busy. It's always trying to fill itself up. It's always trying to do something more. So it just shows up everywhere. It's crazy. It shows up everywhere. So a car is a place to take you from point A to point B, right? Of course not. (laughs) Not if you're filled with pride, it's not. A car is this. I own this car, and you own a cheaper, junkier car. I'm better than you. That's what it is. That's what it is. I own this shirt, and your shirt is clearly, you don't have style. My style is better than your style. Because the self needs to puff itself up. Because it's not anything. So the way we're going to puff ourselves up is through this stupid shirt. (laughs) So we take some completely ridiculous thing called the shirt. And really, so I, I, I know this sounds really crazy, but you realize you choose your shirt and you think, I just chose the shirt because I like it. But you like it because it makes you feel better than those people. It's at least at this level. It's at least at this level. I'm smart. I went to a good school. I make X a lot of money. I have really good style. So this is really strange. You bought the shirt five years ago. It was great then. Today, if you wear it, you're a this. And I'm better than that. So, there's that. All right. And it's fragile. If anybody ever says anything to you about it, you get, you, it, it about you, so they say you something, and it's, you know, some of us are not sensitive about the shirt, but we're sensitive about our looks, we're sensitive about how smart we are, what degree we got, how much money we make, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether our kids are doing well. I mean, just, you just name it. It's fragile. And then on top of that, it's like, I achieved, I achieved, 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 but wait a second, the next one, the next thing. The world is kind of, has constant verdict. The world constantly puts you on this works righteousness, get up there, work, perform, or you're nothing. So your company goes, great job. Yay, celebrate. You just made us $10 million. Great. Do it again or we'll get rid of you. <laughs> so then you went from celebrated employee to nothing. It's a threat. And so yourself is fragile. It's a big way the world controls you, even if you make a lot of money, even if you're smart, even if you're beautiful, because tomorrow you won't be beautiful. (laughs) Oh, you gained too much weight, sorry. Okay. Thanks, Pastor, for that really uh, fun opening. (laughs) Let's go to part two. I want to give you some help. Let's get some help. Um, what we need is humility. Now, I think it is possible to get real humility without the gospel, but what I've generally found that it's very, very rare and incredibly difficult. Heck, even most Christians don't even have this real liberating humility. What does it take to be, have humility? So I want to just offer you two things. And what does it look like? One is that you have to be filled up. You have to stop being empty. Once you are filled up, you have substance. And then you actually build, your character is building into something solid and and strong. And then you don't have to be puffed up. You are, you have a certain solidness. The second thing is, then you become like a big toe that works. You can, the, the self becomes quiet. The self can forget the self not wild? Isn't that be incredible? 
Wouldn't it be great to go to a party and you don't have to worry about if you're sitting at the cool place, how you're dressed, if you talk to the best people, if anybody likes you, if anybody thought you were smart, if anybody thought you were worthy. You went to the party and you enjoyed them, the people. You enjoyed listening to what they had to say. You laughed and it had nothing to do with you, except that you got to receive all the good things from the party. So I want to give you two quotes. The first one is from um, the great chapter from Mere Christianity called The Great Sin, and The Great Sin is Pride. And um, this is awesome. I've, I've thought about this for many, many years, and I want to challenge you to think about this too. So here's how he puts it. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, that he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you, what, what you, what he, what, what you said to him. In other words, he's actually not, his self is quiet because he's only interested in what you have to say. He's not sitting there thinking like, I'm smarter than this person. Oh, let me have a good, careful retort so that this person will think I'm smart. I'm sure none of you ever do that, right? <laughs> if you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. It's interesting, isn't it? The paradox. The humble person, he doesn't even, the self doesn't even think about humility because they're free. This is a really great, I had never really understood this. I remember the first time I read it, thinking, this is weird. And I read it again and again and again over the years. And then when I read um, Tim Keller's little book, so here we go, Mere Christianity, by the way. By the way, if you get this book and you only read this one chapter, you got your money's worth. I promise you. There's actually way more treasures in the book than that. But if you just only read this one chapter, you got your money's worth. Um, Tim Keller takes, he basically, I know that he's really understanding C.S. Lewis's understanding. Actually, C.S. Lewis is getting this from Augustine. Augustine is one of the greatest Bible readers of all time. Augustine's understanding of this portion about pride and sin, it's, it's, shed a, a, it's like the power of Western Christianity. Literally 2,000 years of incredible wisdom it's until our age, our age which is completely lost and we're imprisoning ourselves and destroying ourselves by saying, go to self-esteem because the self has to esteem the self. In other words, the self needs more pride. <laughs> Actually, that's really... Our secular answer to feeling bad about yourself, you need to feel better about yourself, so esteem yourself, in other words, get better pride. That's really what it's saying. Now let me give you um, Tim Keller's definition, and this is, it's, this is worth reading, and I think it's like the best part of the book. Okay, so here we go. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself is thinking of myself less. Isn't that interesting? Let me say that again. The essence of gospel healing is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Just basically not thinking about yourself. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things to myself. It is an end to thoughts such as, I'm in this room with these people. Does that make me look good? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. The freedom of self-forgetfulness, the blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. Isn't that incredible if your soul could be like the big toe? True gospel humility means an ego that is not puffed up, but filled up. This is totally unique. 
Are we talking about high self-esteem? No. So is it low self-esteem? Certainly not. It is not about self-esteem, basically at all. A truly gospel-humble person is not a self-hating person or a self-loving person. The truly gospel-humble person is a self-forgetful person whose ego is just like his or her toes. It just works. It does not draw attention to itself. The toes just work. The ego just works. Neither draws attention to itself. That's what it's like. I want to just say something to you right now. Have anybody of you ever, ever had moments when it's like this? Um, I remember gathering with some old friends many ne- number of years ago. And um, there's some dear friends of ours. We were in the East Coast visiting some old friends. And um, I was so excited to talk to them. And one of them is like kind of a man after my own heart. He has, he's kind of intellect, curious, intellectual. And he loves, he and I love talking about, you know, crazy things that we connect dots in the world. And I got really excited and I was talking too much. <laughs> I'm talking loud. I'm talking too much. And I'm just being me. I completely forgot about, you know, I just love this brother and he's excited and he and I are having a lot of fun and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I'm probably talking, I'm probably doing two thirds of the conversation. My wife said, gosh, you sure talked a lot tonight. <laughs> and then afterwards, I kind of did a whole little rewind of the whole night. You know what? Because that's my, my pride kicked in. All of a sudden, like, you're so stupid. Why'd you talk so much? And they probably think you, sh- you can't shut up and what's wrong with you? And like all that started r- working through. But for about one hour, or more than one hour, I think it was like about two hours, I wasn't thinking about whether I was too loud or I talked too much. I was just having fun. And my friend was having fun. He was giving me his whole self. I think he just completely, he wasn't thinking about whether he, he's, because he, he, he never thinks I judge him and if I don't. In fact, I absolutely deeply admire him. And it was a blast. But afterwards, I was thinking, my wife is totally right. I probably was talking too much. But was it too much? (laughs) So in other words, for a short period of time, I actually enjoyed this. But for most of us, isn't that really the case? You only get real self-forgetfulness for just only short periods of time. And most of the time, the self just can't shut up. Puffed up, deflated. Deflated, puff itself up. Deflated, puff itself up. Puffed up. And, okay, don't, don't, don't get deflated. Well, puff yourself up. Isn't this terrible? All right, we need some good news. Let me give you some good news. I want to take you to a verse. Unbelievable verse. And um, there's a number of these nuggets in the Bible. I think this verse is one answer to all those tragic verses from Proverbs. So here it is. Galatians chapter 4, 6 verse 14. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. And this is the Apostle Paul. And he has one of the most penetrating understandings about being free in the self. And here's where he puts it. Here's one place. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world, by which the secular, all the other voices of the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let me hear it again. Far be it for me to boast, because there we go, boast. That's what we do. I have a better shirt than you. That's my boast. <laughs> I'm being a really smart person, and everybody around here thinks I'm, I, I, I dress so nicely at this party. It's my boast. So every day, we go out into the world to have some basis by which we could prop up our self-esteem, our pride. That's the boast. You know what Paul's saying? I don't have any. Zero, zip, zip, none, except for one. It is in the cross of Jesus. And here is what you get if you have the cross of Jesus. This is, if you belong to Jesus and you have this one boast, 
you can say this, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now let me unpack what this means. All throughout the world, we're going through the secular. You want verdicts, someone telling you you're good, you're good. That's why we always like, you know, being around people that like us. You know, you're on Facebook or whatever it is, just give me the like. <laughs> well, my friends give me likes. I hear teenagers today, like they, get, they feel crushed if they don't get likes from their friends. But come on, do we, we think we're just looking down on teenage girls because they do that? Everybody does that. Everybody does that. Wouldn't it be great if the world's verdicts on you and the world's treadmill of get yourself worth could be crucified to you? It's dead. It's gone. So if you meet Jesus at the cross, the cross isn't only that he paid for your sins. He liberates you from the painful, busy, empty self. On the cross, all that is nothing and worthless and wicked and stupid and foolish in us dies. Including the pride. (laughs) And then all the verdicts of the world can die. Because only one verdict is left. (laughs) His. And he doesn't only leave you with the verdict. Because then he goes, you are empty. All your empty, sad, pathetic, ego self, you'll die here at the cross. But Jesus says, I am solid. I have riches. I have great worth. I have great wisdom. I have beauty and glory that's infinite. Let me fill you with that. Let me fill you with me. And let me give you a new verdict. Above all the world and above the seculum, I will crush that world and he'll be nothing to you. And then you can go out into the world and you live in the world, but it's crucified to you. And now you become filled up. And you can become like a really happy big toe. Maybe you're a quiet person and you just stop worrying about if you're a quiet person. Maybe you are a loud and talkative person, like me. And by the way, both are fine to God. (laughs) Those are good, by the way. Introvert is good. Extrovert is good. Neither is sin. I don't know if you know that. I know in America, extrovert is good and introvert is bad. That's that's wrong. It's wrong. (laughs) Introvert, God made. Extrovert, God made. Tall people, God made. Short people, God made. <laughs> some like really skinny people and you know, some plumper people. God makes them, you may make you. He likes you this way. Black people, white people. He likes it. It's good. And then now he fills you with you even better with all his infinite riches. And then his verdict. There's the worth that can be never taken away from you. And if you would believe in that verdict on you, then yourself can believe something new about yourself. Which is neither, I'm so great, on some BSE kind of nonsense, puffed up basis, or I'm so nothing because everybody thinks I'm nothing. But the most glorious person absolutely cherishes you. And has put the final verdict on you. And by which you could be, the world is crucified to you. Even though the world wants to crucify you, that means an eye to the world. That means the world doesn't like me because I'm, like, I'm free from it now. Of course the world doesn't like you. The world always wants to strangle you and control you. It's one of the reasons why the world hates Christians. It's why the world doesn't hate, Chris, hate Christians. Because we're not of them. We belong to heaven. And they're jealous because we're a little too joyful and free from the world. That's why they want to crucify us. That's what this passage is saying. 
But do you want to be really free? Far be it from me to boast except, except only in the cross of Jesus. Then the world could be crucified to me, to the ego, and I to the world, and you will be free. Real humility. Let's pray. Lord, we are these enslaved lemmings that the world is pushing around, our friends are pushing around. These literally two little, one little mean thing said on the social media feed could ruin our day. 10 or 20 or 50 mean things said by the right people could ruin our life. And so, may we learn real humility. It's not something we actually can learn. We can only be gifted by faith. Lord, if there's anybody here today listening to this message, may they run to you, Jesus. May they, may they run to you. May they fly to you. And you will say that you would give them your verdict. And all their sad, dying, pathetic pride, whether it's puffed up or whether it's deflated, could be crucified on the cross. They could be filled up by your acceptance, by your verdict, by your love. Make us this way. Make us a joyful, free, and humble people, attracting people to you. In you is life. In you is real humility. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.